Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on the Athletic Podcast Network. Coming up on today's show, we're going to talk about Michael Porter Jr.'s post-game comments, what happens to teams when they, after they lose in the playoffs, and another installment of Is This a Thing? This is Nerdish You Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour. With Mo DeKeel. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Partnow. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Nerder She Wrote on the Athletic NBA Show. I'm your host, Dave Dufour, joined as I am every single week by Seth and Mo. Fellas, playoffs have been pretty good so far. They've been great, man. I've enjoyed them. I don't know about anybody else. Uh, I I love them. I'm more out. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's a lot of, uh, especially that, that I think the, the Raptors-Celtics game six, like, was so intense for so long that it kind of wrung me out like a sponge a little bit. I'm worn out from the referees, and, and we did our rant last week, but, you know, that that game between Boston and Toronto should be an all-timer, but in, in the back of my mind, I'm always going to think about those late-game calls that that just did not, A, didn't need to be made, like the, the flagrant on Tatum, I don't want to sit here and relitigate it, but the flagrant on Tatum kind of just feels so extreme. Kemba Walker not getting a foul call. And I don't care who wins, but I just, you know, just need some consistency. But that's neither here nor there. I don't care about the calls. I care about the time. It's, oh, it just, God, well, it's, 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 it's let's We got to get rid of the instant replay, the challenges, all of it. Like, lamenting. Go f*** yourself, Seth. <laughs> well, as uh, as Seth tries to trigger Mo, uh, here's something succeeds in triggering yeah, Mo. That's just Here, it's over. Here's something that has kind of triggered uh, a response from people, and I'm not sure if it's completely fair. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. had these post game comments after the Nuggets loss to the Clippers the other night. What are you looking to do to get yourself more involved when you're not touching the ball? I mean, that's really up to the play calls. It's really up to the coaches who they want to put the put the ball in whose hand. Um, we kept going uh, to Yoke and Maul. They're, they're two amazing players, so you can never get mad at that. But I just think uh, to beat that team, we got to get more players involved. We got to move the ball a little bit better. Um, we can't be predictable against that team. Mike, are you at a place – I know it's your rookie year, but are you in a place where you can voice that, that concern and that thought to Malone, or do you just kind of just let him – uh, dictate. If I'm gonna be out there on the floor playing a lot of minutes, I think I should voice that. So I'll probably talk. I'll probably talk to the coaches. You know, just tell them what I see being out there on the floor. Just letting them know. Look, like we, they know what we're doing. Like we got to swing the ball. There's, we got a lot of players who can play basketball and score. So we got to get some more guys involved. Okay, so we all like a guy who's competitive, right? And and for a young guy in particular, I, I actually really appreciate. That that he feels, you know, he really wants to win. He wants to be out there. He wants the ball. That's great. It's hard to teach that. So that's that. That's a positive thing. Now I'm of the opinion you don't do that stuff to the media, right? Like take it to the locker room. Talk to the coaching staff. Talk to your teammates. Am I wrong here, guys? Working through the media is a high wire act, uh, and there's a lot more that can go wrong that can go right. Uh, and there are certain people who are masters of it. Uh, most people probably shouldn't try. Yeah, no, it, here's the thing. I don't even know if he's trying to work it through the media. 
and just a, he's a young kid who doesn't know any better. And this isn't our segment. Is this a thing? But to me, this is nothing. This really doesn't mean that much. Like, we're going to make a big deal of it. How dare he? He's a rookie. He shouldn't say this. He shouldn't do all this stuff. And you're right. Like, he shouldn't have aired it out in public. He shouldn't have said what he said. But really, it doesn't matter. It's not a big it, – to me, it's just really nothing. It's it's we're going to make it a bigger deal than what it really is going to be to Denver. You know, I think that's going to be – a. The, the the real truth of it all like we'll blow up about it in the media make it a big deal but it's it's a nothing burger so i think it it's it itself is not a thing it is revelatory however um our colleague john hollinger uh tweeted out and i'll quote him uh, how do i put this put this gently medical was by far the main reason he fell in the draft it might not have been the only reason yeah, no, I, I, we've all heard that. We've all heard that the kid's kind of an ass, you know, like we've, we've all heard that. Like none of this is new. Like this isn't shocking, you know, and this is part of the, the problem, but it's a 20 year old kid. You know what my bigger issue was? You want to know what really pissed me off when I watched this whole thing? Was him eating during the damn interview. Oh yeah, that was pretty, yeah. Like somebody on. needs to explain to him like, yo, you need to be professional and, and, it, Make your comments and not sit there and eat chips or whatever the hell he was snacking on. That was the love, bigger issue. I love Mo Dekeel, basketball purist, is just mad about the eating part of this. And I, to, for the record, I'm not mad about any of it. Um, I don't begrudge a, a guy who is competitive expressing that. And I do think this was a rookie mistake, right? Like he, it probably won't happen again. I'm positive Mike Malone will blow this off and say, hey, listen, you know what? That's the kind of attitude we want. Whereas internally, he's probably going to take him aside and they'll have a conversation. Hey, look, don't don't air family business, <laughs> you know, in front of the camera. But it does bring up to me a, another thing that, that we haven't really talked a lot about. But locker room dynamics in particular, I think, are probably exacerbated in the bubble. You know, how much of a fracture could could something like this, if it got misconstrued by the team, which I am not anticipating, but if it did, like how much of a chemistry ding would we see out of this? You know, like would would the Nuggets freeze this guy out? Would he maybe not play as much because, you know, Mike Malone is upset with him? I'm not sure. I mean, you guys have both worked with teams. I mean, have you ever seen anything like that before? I mean, I've been on a team with – a lot of talent, but not great chemistry in the locker room with, with the Lob City Clippers. Like that stuff's all been, you know, aired pretty out there. But just speaking in terms of, especially in the bubble, like these are the only people you see every day. And just having been on like long road trips with the Clippers, we had the Grammy road trip, which, which was usually 10 days to 14 days. And like, you know, you have the guys who you're going to hang out with on the road. I would hang out with Rich Williams, who we've had on the show a bunch of times we would go grab lunch and things like that when there was a spare moment. And then there'd be a day where I'm like, Rich, I don't want to see another damn person. Like, I don't want to see you like, don't get offended. And these guys have been locked in this bubble since mid July. Like that's, uh, I, I think that's a fair thing where it can lead the interesting fractures within the, 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 chemistry of the locker room and whatnot just kind of you see everybody the same every day and and i think that might that's one of the challenges i think we all thought kind of going into the bubble i think this ties in with something we have talked about a fair amount on the show which is 
all the things that go into coaching. And um, I think we're actually we're we're seeing a in their opponent, we're kind of seeing an example of a coach directing something that could be distracting better. Like, you know, Pat Beverly is is his is ha- having some moments, you know, every time he gets called for a foul, he's twirling the finger, looking for a replay and, and, and so on and so forth and getting kicked out of games. And, and um, that could be the kind of thing where some coaches might like blow up and say, what are you doing? And blah, blah, blah. And other coaches. And it seems like from what we can tell, it seems like doc is at least kind of, reflecting that, refracting it, redirecting it in a different direction so that it doesn't become a thing for the entire team. Um, and that's that's skillfully done and an important part of being uh, – of what, what coaching is, both across kind of, you know, a long season, but as Mo has intimated, uh, in this sort of very, uh, um, you know, hermetically sealed environment where there is no – there really is no way to blow off steam – uh, to keep the steam from building. Yeah. And just a side note, teams, like if I'm a coach and I have a player who's constantly twirling the finger and wants a challenge, I'm finding him the second I challenge on a twirl and he's wrong. I'm finding him a, 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 a hundred bucks. And if he's a superstar, a couple hundred, just, just, I actually, note. I liked Jeff Van Gundy and, and listen, I'm not in a fan of automatic technicals or more technicals, but I appreciate where Jeff Van Gundy's coming from. On on saying players calling for the replay should, should get a tech. I am also tired of it. I'm more tired of the replay. Well, let me ask you guys. So when you when you have an instance with a young guy, maybe not understanding, um, you know how how NBA locker rooms should operate. Do you guys think that 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 highlights the value of having? Vocal veteran leadership in your locker room, and maybe that's something that the Nuggets. You know, I'm just highlighting them now. There are plenty of teams that could use that, but maybe the Nuggets need a little bit more of that this offseason. I mean, it helps, right? Having that veteran guy. I mean, it, maybe it's not even a, as much a veteran guy as it is a glue guy. Like, you know, there's a huge value of PJ Tucker off the court, kind of being that glue guy for the Rockets and, and able to keep everybody somewhat in line. And I think there's definite value in all of that, I think. You know, the Nuggets thought they were getting that from Millsap. Maybe he's not the guy they thought he was. Maybe he's doing it and we don't see it as much because it's something you may not see very often because it just does happen in the locker room. Maybe it is Millsap talking to, you know, MPJ and saying like, hey, young fella, come here. Like, let's talk this out here for a second. Like, you know, you 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 may be right in your opinion, but that ain't where you do it. And that's not where you make that that take or whatnot. And I think that's there's there's definite inherent value in having some sort of vocal leader in the locker room. And it may not necessarily be your star players, but you need to have that one guy that everybody feels comfortable. Like, yo, when he speaks, everybody's going to stop and listen. So this is also, you know, we, with players who are talented, well, why, why, why hasn't it worked out for him? And this isn't specific to, to Michael Porter Jr. Right. This is, but I mean, it's a topic for for him because, well, how did he drop in the draft? Well, there's the medical. There's, um, 
you know, there's, I, I forget who kind of came up with this formulation, but it's, it's the kind of thing people say is like 10% of guys are going to be great locker room guys, no matter what. 10% are going to be clowns, no matter what. And everyone's in the middle. And you're kind of trying to, is this a guy who you just have to work with? Or is this guy, you know, a clown? And if, and if it's that, then there's a problem. And then it may be, then the bar for how good you have to be to be, it, it to be worth it becomes massively higher. And, you know, again, not do we don't we don't know enough about Denver. Yeah, yeah no, right no, no, no. Say either way, but just in general. So I think it's you can you can talk about the, the veteran leadership. You can also talk about there's, you know, degrees of difficulty in terms of the personalities you're dealing with. And, yeah, some of that's a guy being 20. Right. Um, exactly. Um, and I and, again, and I'd rather, I would rather work with the guy who wants the ball than the guy who is scared to have the ball. And I think that that ultimately winds up being a better problem to have as long as you know you can make it work uh from a and coaching they, perspective. They, they play some defense first i mean well, the, yes. the, i mean yeah the nuggets We're not problem too is, much. the nuggets problem is defense but like, right. yeah, <laughs> ultimately yeah. and they're going Let's up look. against a good team like the clippers are yeah. good like sorry right. like when they are locked in like they were yesterday this is yeah. the championship and, and, team we thought they'd be and a reminder you're not coming back from down 3-1 against utah if Jokic and Murray aren't leading that team. So, you know, everyone take a deep breath and, and Michael Porter Jr. I think is going to be fine. I, I actually think they should go ahead and start him in the game uh, in the next game, but that's just me. Uh, we're going to talk about what happens after you lose in the playoffs after this message from our sponsor. Now is the time to celebrate football has returned. And DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, is putting you right in the middle of the weekend's action with over $8 million up for grabs across all their contests. To kick off the season, DraftKings is giving new users a free shot at a $1 million top prize when you make a deposit and use the code MAYS, M-A-Y-S, during your sign-up. Get in on this action right now. Draft your lineup now and feel the sweat like you never have before. Every run, pass, and catch means more with the DraftKings lineup. It's simple. You just pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Nothing adds to the sweat of watching a game like having a shot at a million-dollar top prize. DraftKings has paid out billions of dollars to winners since 2012, so they know a thing or two about cold, hard cash. Download the DraftKings app now and use the code MAZE. For a limited time, new users can get a free shot at a $1 million top prize and compete for over $8 million in prizes across all contests. Don't miss this extra special week one bonus. Enter the code MAZE to get a free shot at $1 million top prize with your first deposit. That's Maze, M-A-Y-S, only at DraftKings. Make it rain, guys. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Okay, so you've lost in the playoffs. I'm assuming both of you guys, actually, I know for a fact, both of you guys have lost in the playoffs before. So we just watched... The favorites in the East, the best team in the regular season, they lost in the playoffs. We also watched the Oklahoma City Thunder lose in the playoffs. I think their off seasons are going to look completely different. So the question is, what do you do now? You're at home. 
What are these teams doing? Seth, I'm going to start with you because, you know, you you were just there last year. So what what is happening? I mean, we already saw Oklahoma City has decided they're going one way. The Bucks clearly are going to be trying to go the other way. So what's happening right now? So I think that's the first kind of question you you have to ask yourself is like, where are we? Um, if you're, you know, okay, Oklahoma City is either on the way down or the way up, but they're not at the top right now. So they kind of have to make the decision of, okay, if we're trying to get better next year, what do we need? And that's a that's a broad question in terms of of you know positions we need to upgrade and and if our system is good enough and blah blah blah. Um, once you're kind of at that kind of inner circle of contender status, which you know for whatever you know what happened in the playoffs, winning you know playing at basically a 65 win pace over two years and and you know getting somewhat deep in the playoffs, at least one of those, like you have to say, okay, we're there. Uh, the the changes are going to be more likely smaller just because a the best parts of your team are locked in b um b, you're you're more than likely limited in your mechanisms for for doing stuff um and c again you 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 don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater in terms of okay we've got something working let's change everything um so that's the that's the first part is really identifying and this is something that teams in the past have gotten themselves in trouble with if they kind of catch some injury luck or some good shooting or another team falls apart against them and they say hey we made the second round of the playoffs it's like yeah but Derrick Rose blew his knee out so does it count um and and so that's where you have to be really kind of really self-critical about where you are before you start making any decisions about what to do because you know, you don't start next year. Well, we're in the second round of the playoffs already. You got to start from zero, uh, and and it doesn't mean much if you fluke your way into the second round. Well, and the year before to to that point, I think Oklahoma City is a great example of that. I mean, they were they were one win away from the second round of the playoffs, and I actually think they're likely going down the rebuild path, no matter what. I mean, you know, an unlikely Western Conference Finals berth might have been the only thing to make them say, oh, you know what? Maybe we have something here. But I, I, I think that they were going to rebuild even if they won that series against Houston. Yeah, no, they, they definitely were. Like, they were going to sell high on Chris Paul, you know, to begin with. They got a great year from Chris Paul. He, you know, has improved his value, you know, he's, was a great teammate to the young kids, a really good mentor, you know, was in a perfect scenario for him where he didn't have to play crazy hard for an entire 48-minute game or however many he played, but just had to really show up in, in crunch time. And he had done a really good job. You know, you, you try to go with this again next year and his value is going to probably plummet. I think it's one of those things where like they, they're smart enough to know, hey, we're going to sell high on Chris. We're going to start the rebuild process and we're going to start building around guys like, you know, Shea Gilgis Alexander. We're going to build around Lou Dort, who we got on a great contract now. And you know, start kind of finding pieces. Like we're going to see them spin off a lot of guys and to go to Seth's point too, of like some teams not being realistic of where they ended up in the the playoffs the year before and thinking they're a legitimate team. Like that's the Portland trailblazers. They made it to the conference finals really because Denver kind of screwed around in the standings to make sure that they were going to face 
they weren't going to face Golden State or Houston in the second round. So, you know, it, it was one of those scenarios. Like, this was last year's playoffs, and, and really the conference finals for the West was that Houston-Golden State series. And I think that's kind of the thing where they came in thinking, and everybody kept saying, oh, they were conference finalists last year. I'm like, yeah, but, like, were they? Really? You know, and I think that's what we're looking at. And I think, you know, you got to commend Presti just being realistic about the team. And it's, you know, looking forward instead of just going, we accomplished this, therefore we should accomplish that next year. So how do you make this decision? You know, what ultimately, what does it come down to? I mean, when you look at Oklahoma City, they've got Steven Adams on a big contract. They've got Chris Paul on a big contract, which I don't think they're going to have any trouble moving Chris Paul. Um, but it's not like they're going to be a free agent destination. So the money doesn't really matter to them. They just need to get under under the tax. Um, you know, but how do they make the decision when they just had this? You know, I, I think this was a successful season for them. It was a feel good story season for yeah. them. But, it, you know, the the Cinderella story doesn't translate the next season. You know, well, why not? This is well, a good team. Well, no, but you the got- word we're looking for is sustainable. Uh, Chris Paul's health, right, is questionably sustainable. Um, the ability of Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, and Shea Gilders Alexander to coexist without kind of stepping on each other's toe is that sustainable? Um, is is um, a starting lineup where? One player is one and a half players, depending on 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 how Stephen Adams is feeling on a particular night, are offensive zeros. Is that sustainable? Um, Probably not. Yeah, I mean, it's, well, okay. But, what about the Bucks then? But, but hold on, Dave. To go back to yeah. the, the the Thunder, you're also forgetting the fact that next year the Golden State Warriors are going to be healthy. Presumably, we're going to have a, a healthy Zion. Like the the West next year is going to probably be 14 teams deep. You know, uh, and and. It's you know uh, Phoenix is on the rise. Like there's going to be Who, who's the one? Huh? Uh, <laughs> which which fan base are we getting mad? Uh, I'm going to piss off Minnesota. I don't think they're. Okay. I don't think they're there. Oh no, it, they're not realistic. No. no. So I mean, I think so. For Presky, it's just smart saying like, hey, we're probably not going to be able to recreate this. Let's let's make the moves we can now because they're not going to get free agents. Let's start gathering assets. And 2021 is a good draft. You can envision. I mean, I guess you could envision Oklahoma City being able to bottom out. They can at least get a top five pick, I'm assuming. And they got a ton and they got a ton of picks coming from the Paul George trade from the Clippers and things like that. Like they're going to have stuff where if they want to make moves, they, they're going to have the assets, you know, whether it's using the draft picks or, or, or bundling them for something. So, okay, so moving to the Bucks again, the other end of the spectrum. This is not a team that is looking to rebuild. They obviously want to re-sign Giannis and keep him around. So in order to do that, you mean you've got to stay competitive. It's not like they can say, okay, we're going to tear this thing down and rebuild again around Giannis. So when you look at what they're doing and, and they're, I mean, there's no other way to describe this than a playoff failure because that's what it was. Uh how do you feel about their plan going forward? I mean, they're going to keep Mike Budenholzer, which, you know, is pragmatic. Um, but how do you how do you get him to adjust his own game plan? Because that's that was the big loss for them in the playoffs. Like they lost the coaching battle as much as they lost what happened on the court. Bud just got out coached. So how do you how do you work with that? Because you can't get rid of Bud. 
right? I thought Seth was going to jump in. I'll, I'll... <laughs> no, Seth is not going to jump in. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will. I will chime in here. I mean, yes, they lost a coaching battle. Yes, they they struggled with that, and Bud has to get better in terms of experimenting in the regular season. Like I kind of went through a little bit of a, a tweet thread, uh, you know, just kind of saying like, look, it was great. Giannis only played 30 minutes a game this year. And then we expected them to all, all of a sudden be able to amp that up to, to 40 in the playoffs when he, he never played more than 38 this season, you know? And I think that's kind of an unfair expectation. Maybe they should push, his minutes limits throughout the the season. And there's ways to kind of ramp him up, ramp him down and then ramp him back up again. I'm not saying you should go average 40 minutes all next season, but you can start building his body to get comfortable for that. And there's that level. And Bud has to get more comfortable experimenting. But the other side of it too was there were flaws in this team's construction. You know, as much as we want to blame coaching, there were flaws. I mean, I said it last year, they don't have a playmaker. They don't have a guy that sets the table. Sorry, Eric Bledsoe doesn't do that. And he's shown again, he's crap in the playoffs. I'm sorry. This is just kind of what it is. And, you know, they need to start finding somebody else to just alleviate the pressure off of Giannis. Because as good as Middleton is, he's not really a playmaker. He's not setting the table for other guys. He'll get his shot, but he ain't creating for anybody else. And I think that's what, you know, their roster construction in general is was what's held them back. And they're too old. That's part of roster construction, right? right? Yeah. Like you're banking in on old <laughs> They're guys. They're too old. It, it's not. It's not just the playmaking. It's also a lot of old guys. And, and it's funny because I bring up these two teams in particular, even though other teams have been eliminated, because there's a lot of buzz around the potential of Milwaukee making a trade for Chris Paul. And it's like, listen, Chris Paul was great this year. He all NBA, but he's 35 years old. He's old. Like you need a younger version of Chris Paul. Okay, if you who, can tell how me how are you going to get him, Dave? Because that's, that's the that's the issue, that's, right? That's the conversation I've had with a friend of mine recently. You know, having that conversation, and he's just like, hey, those other guys you can't get. They're just not available. They're not out there. You know, you Devin Booker is not on the market. You know, he's not on the trading block and things like that. And to me, actually, I think where Chris Paul fits is this takes a lot of stuff off of his plate in terms of having to just create shots for himself, you know, and, and things like that, running a pick and roll with him and then Middleton playing on the second side, you know, where you, you have that action and you're able to build within that. And I think, you know, it helps. Like this is a guy that can get everybody looks, okay, we got to get Giannis going. Okay. Chris hasn't had a shot. Uh, Middleton hasn't had a shot in uh you know, a couple of possessions. Let's make sure we get him some touches. Brooke needs to get a touch whenever he's in the corner open for three. Like there's, that's Chris's thinking. And I think Chris is actually kind of a perfect fit for this team, even if he's old, because they also have enough defense to cover him behind him, you know, and it's not like he has to play that role that he had to play for us in Lob City, you know, or, or for Houston where he had to be the second guy. He just has to set the table. Usually when we're on this show and we're talking about Clippers and Nuggets and Knicks, we're talking basketball. But our partners at Manscaped wanted to tell you about their new Clippers, the Lawnmower 3.0, the single best hygiene tool for the modern man. It's got ceramic blade and skin safe technology to prevent Knicks and protect your Nuggets. They actually just released this Shears 2.0 nail kit. And guys, 
This thing is extremely nice. It has these nice slash tip tweezers, rounded point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file, which is the perfect amount of grit. It's the Goldilocks of grit. It's the Dante DiVincenzo of grit. Perfect Package 3.0 not only comes with the lawnmower, waterproof, cordless body trimmer. It also has the performance boxer briefs. And gentlemen, let me tell you, these things live up to the billing. They really perform. And a travel bag so that you can carry all this stuff around when we're done quarantining and can go places. It also comes with a crop preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant. And if you're not deodorizing your balls at this point, you're living in the Stone Age. The Crop Reviver, a spray-on toner made with soothing aloe and witch hazel extracts. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code THEATHLETIC20. Take your grooming game to the next level. All right, guys. So... It's time for this week's installment, you know, as we've just finished up talking about some of the issues with, with rosters that have been eliminated from the playoffs. Seth, is this a thing? Well, that's not the thing. That's not the thing. That's but it's time for this segment. So, Seth, what is the thing? So, we talk a lot about uh, jump shooting in the playoffs and whether jump shooting teams can win. Um and how to go about building a team and, you know, whether the game was better in the, in the past than it is today. Um, here's a stat for you. In 2003, 2004, the team that was more efficient on jump shots, and I'm defining jump shots as shots from 15 feet or further away, a team that was more efficient in a given game won just over 69% of, of, of games. Um, that number has gone up a little bit. It, it reached a peak a couple of years ago of around 74%. Uh, this year it was about 71.4%. So jump shooting is like perhaps a little bit more important to, uh, winning than it, than it, than it was in the past, but only a little bit. So, um, when people start talking about the game being, changed in difference because it's just a jump shooting slash three point shooting contest. I'm going to posit that that's not a thing. Thoughts. I mean, make shots. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's definitely not a thing. I think it's, uh, we, we always say this, this is something they've been saying. No, no, but this is something that they've been saying for a long time of like, this is the jump shooting. You know, you can't win if you're a jump shooting team, right? Charles Barkley has been famously saying this forever. You know, but you have to be able to make those shots because sometimes you're not going to be able to get to the rim and get to the paint and things like that with how teams play defensively and whatnot. So, you know, I don't think it's a thing. I think every offense is built a certain way and certain teams, you know, it's risky. We see it with Houston. I mean, they depend solely on making sure they make enough threes to win games. And we've seen it too many times now where they've gone cold and not made shots, but they're also just not trying to get other shots, right? They're built to only get two types of shots. And I think that's kind of been their their downfall. But the important thing there, Dave, and I don't know if you caught it, he classified jump shots as 15 feet or out, meaning the mid-range is still important. <laughs> well, the mid-range is because of the way NBA defenses are built. The mid-range is the shot that is available oftentimes. And so I would guess 
that if you've got a Kawhi Leonard, you have a better shot at winning a title, right? Like that's the superstar shot. This is kind of something that we've talked about all year. So I'm not surprised that the numbers back that up, but you've got to get to the rim and you've got to get to the free throw line. In the playoffs. Or you've got to shoot the hell out of the ball from the, from a contested mid-ranger with two seconds on the shot clock and a guy in your face if your name is, I don't know, Kyle Lowry. Huge Which, shot, right? Yeah. But um, this this leads into something that I thought you made a really good point about a couple of days ago on your analytical look around over at The Athletic. And, you know, you bring up Kyle Lowry. Well, Toronto doesn't have that guy. They don't have the alpha dog guy who you can get a bucket out of. And, and, you know, they've tried to sort of shoehorn Pascal Siakam into that role. And he clearly isn't the guy for that. I mean, they've, they, this is the thing we hold, excuse me. This is the thing we heard all year, right? Like this is, this has been my biggest problem with Toronto is who are you going to, to get shots at the last second? Like who's your go-to guy? Who do you trust on that team? And Lowry made a ridiculous shot. You know, it, it, it was crazy, but you know, they were trying to tell us it's Siakam, it's Siakam. And it's clear. It's not him. You said it, David, it's, it's obvious. It's just, that's not who he is. He is a great number two guy for a team, but he's not going to be the guy. He can't be the guy. And that's where, Kawhi Leonard was so special. And I think that's why he takes, you know, the Clippers to another level. You know, when they're in trouble, he can stabilize things and get that shot off. And he's comfortable enough and he can make that shot. And we've seen him do it over and over again. We saw Chris Paul do it over and over again. This is why the Thunder had, you know, the best clutch offense really all year was because they had that guy who can get to his spots and make that mid-range shot. Now it's dropped a little bit for Chris. And as he's going to get older, it's going to get even worse. But it's just you got to have that one guy, and that's the key. You got to have the guy. The coach goes like, "Crap, six seconds on the clock. Throw the grenade to him." Yeah, I think there's two different things we're talking about here, and it's easy to conflate them in part because I think the the players who tend to be good at at least one of them, at least at the guys who tend to be you know your your closer type who gets the ball in late close situations and get us a bucket and we've argued back and forth numerous times about whether you should try to do other things and yeah, sure. Um, but so that's one part of it. The other part is just over the f- course of a game um, as the defense takes away options, one, two, three, four, five, even uh, which, you know, these good playoff defenses are doing. I think we see it on both sides of, of the Toronto Boston series is they're having to go deep into the book to, to find shots. Um, you know, even on a given possession, who can get you something good or something at least non-terrible? Um, who Who's not going to throw some flailing fall out of bounds stuff that rockets off the rim and, and starts a fast break the other way? Who's going to be able to get, get to the line just enough to slow things down? Who's going to be able to, yeah, break a guy down and hit a pull up? Um, and those are those are different things, like, but – probably related skill sets. But when we're I, I think when when I'm talking about like an alpha, I'm thinking more of like the guy over the course of the game who can just do that. You need that if you need that eight times a game, a guy who can give you that twice a quarter. And, well and those are the guys that are stars in the league. Like yep. let's just be honest. Like you're you're a superstar because you can do those things. You don't do those things necessarily because you're a superstar. There I I Giannis is a good example of this and, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But but I do think that those guys 
especially in the playoffs where the defenses are tighter, the pace is slower. Those guys are incredibly important if you want to win a title. Well, I mean, there's so few of them. You know, that's the thing that's really important to understand. Like there's probably like four or five guys that you just feel comfortable that can do that the way Seth described all game. I mean, Kawhi's one, LeBron's one, uh, Damian Lillard, I think's one, you know, we can debate that if, if we want, you know, uh, Curry's probably the other one. And then you kind of get into this weird situation. Like is James that guy? We've seen him kind of falter in the fourth quarter. We don't know if James Harden's that guy or not. You know, there's, there's just so few of them. And that's, I think the level of superstardom, you know, when you can do that through, through the entire game, that's, that's when you've hit the, okay, I'm a superstar level player. And it's, it's the thing that you said there that's important is game to game. There are guys who can, uh, I think, you know, we saw a a run of six games of pretty ridiculousness of it from Jamal Murray, Part of the reason why he's been sort of, uh, you want to say, an enigma, a disappointment, uh, 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 you know, a, a cause of hope, whatever, uh, in Denver, is that he is he's not ever really been consistent at doing that. And, you know, part of it is he's playing against, you know, one of the teams most well-equipped to take on kind of a smaller scoring guard. Uh, in, in, in the Clippers. And that's, that's, that's certainly slowing him down, but it's also of a piece with kind of his, his sort of larger career arc of, you know, on one hand, there's nights he looks completely, to use a soccer term, he looks completely unplayable. And there's nights he's, he looks pedestrian. And, and to be that, that guy, like we're talking about that superstar, that, that first or second tier guy, it's something that, that has got to be there. Like not every night. Everybody has a, has an off night. Kawhi was what four of seventeen in in game two or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even even to the the best robots, it happens. Uh, but uh, but still, that that's it's, it was shocking for Kawhi because it was such an aberration. We're going to expound on this in a second, but first, I wanted to tell you about one of our sponsors, Artifact. Artifact sets you up with one of their professional interviewers to capture stories about yourself or important people in your in your life. Think of it like a podcast episode that can be about whatever you want. With Artifact, you could call up your grandpa and have him interviewed and tell his life story. You could talk about, you know, your friends or your family as a birthday, wedding, anniversary gift, how they've made a difference in your life, share funny stories. Again, whatever you want. Professional interviewers will contact you and set up a time and you guys will record a podcast about your life, what you've done in your life, where you've traveled, what food you like, whatever you want it to be. At some point, my artifact will actually be out in the wild. I talked about my life, you know, as a professional wrestler and traveling around the world and how I got into basketball, which is, you know, a crazy story. And uh, as soon as that comes out, I'll make sure you guys all get to hear it. But in the meantime, set up an artifact of your own. If you're ready, contact Artifact. Go to HeyArtifact.com and use the code NBA to get 40% off your first episode. That's HeyArtifact.com and use the code NBA for $40 off your first episode. So we've talked a lot on this show about heliocentrism. And we've seen a few examples where it works. I think LeBron James being a great example. I think Luka Doncic is a good example. 
but with some warts, right? Like Luca is a young player and, and the Mavs have some, some issues uh, as far as personnel goes. But we've also seen where it's not really working. Giannis is an example of this. You know, I think the Bucks' big problem is that it's just their offense revolves around him when he's on the court. So in the playoffs, they, they had a hard time generating offense when he was out there. And it's no surprise to me that they pulled off that victory when he was out because Miami just wasn't ready for, for what they were throwing at him. Is it impossible to build a modern contender around a big like Giannis? I don't think so, Dave, but it's a there's a lot of things that have to go into it. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it with what the Bucks got to do. You got to add other pieces around it. But my my point and my pushback on you is this isn't just a big thing. This isn't just a big man thing. This is a heliocentric offenses are great in the regular season. But come playoff time, you need to be able to have that second gear, that second that plan B, not even another gear, just plan B. Okay, they've taken this away. What are we doing next? You know, how are we combating this? That was the other problem with the Bucks. You know, and that's something that's a coaching thing as well as a uh, the way the team was set up. You know, they just didn't really have the other. Okay, this isn't going. Let's play this way now. You know, and I think that's something that ends that tends to be a problem where you see with teams like Houston, for example. You know, they're extremely heliocentric with it, really kind of focused on Harden and Russ. And the problem you kind of run into is when Harden's not going, you're depending a whole lot on Russ. And I'm going to be honest, that's a scary-ass proposition. He might win you a game, but he's going to lose you a couple too. And, and case in point, look at game two of the series with the Lakers. Heliocentric offenses are great to a degree, and I think you need to have some of that. It goes back to kind of having that alpha guy, that conversation we just had. But you need to be able to have other guys kind of do things and, and create and have another way you can attack just to kind of not wear down the guy you're you're basing everything off of not um you make it easy to defend you become predictable you know offensively when that's their way of going about it and i think that's kind of the the issue for me with heliocentric offenses in general is i think it tends to kind of show its warts a bit in the playoffs so i have a theory on this Shocking. This is surprising. It's surprising, I know. No, um, the best players are often most effective when, or rather, the teams with the best players are often most effective when they use the threat of that player as much as they use that player, if that makes sense. Um, and it's easier for a player like Steph Curry, who is, you know, perhaps the most dangerous off-ball player in the league, but the Warriors get a got in their kind of heyday. They got a lot just by ooh, Steph is over there. Pay attention to him. Right. Um, if the ball is in a guy's hands all the time, you're never, you're never attention is never diverted from the, the center of what's actually going on. And I think if there's a, a, a broader criticism of heliocentrism, it is that it's your, it's your, that latent ability to make everyone else better just by your presence is kind of diminished a little bit. If it's just, everything runs through you. Well, is Nikola Jokic an example of, of a heliocentric offense? Because I think he kind of is. I mean, it, it seems like all the offense certainly runs through him. He doesn't pound the leather off the ball. I mean, 
uh, barely dribbles at all in the half court <laughs> often. Um, but I think that what he does is a nice, at least a nice compromise on heliocentrum. Like it, it, it's obvious that he is the, the crux of that offense, but he doesn't have to do every single thing because he, he passes so well and he shoots so well. He's such a threat with the ball in his hands that it opens up things for everybody else. Is he someone you feel like if he doesn't have the ball, you need to almost, you know, what's the, what's the expression with like a running quarterback, a spy? Right. You right. feel like you need to have a spy on Nikola Jokic. I I don't. I think he's a good shooter. I don't think he's. I don't think he's a guy. Oh man, if we leave him, he's going to cut to the basket and dunk all over us. He's going to rain threes on us. He's going to, you know, like Utah kind of made him do that for the first five games of the series and I think it was to Utah's advantage that they did so. Oh, getting him when to they, be more aggressive as a scorer is the yeah. game plan because he doesn't want to do that. Yeah. Right. But I, I think, you, you know, Dave, like that was something I thought for a long time, but watching the way Jamal Murray has played in these playoffs, like see now it's kind of given them a second way to play a little bit. Okay. Now we can put the ball in Jamal's hands and let's create a little bit, let him come off the ball screens from Jokic and kind of a little more pick and roll action and things like that. And, you know, we saw it like Jokic was phenomenal in the Utah series, but it did kind of turn into the Jamal Murray show a little bit. And I think having that other, that, that kind of goes to it. where like, look, this is heliocentric offense, but then having that other gear you can go to that other plan kind of opens things up there. And it made things a little bit easier for the, for the Nuggets. And I thought, you know, they've, they've done a good job. I think Seth's right. And the Jokic isn't the guy you really need to spy on afterwards, you know, when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, you know, I think that's spot on Seth, but I think they've found something this playoffs. And I really think it's only it started in this playoffs before I would have just said, man, just find a way to keep the ball out of Jokic's hands and you should be fine. This playoffs, I feel like Murray has shown like, no, you can start running stuff through me as well. Well, see, and that's the thing about Harden. There are moments, and there have been moments in this series already, where Harden gives the ball up and then does stuff. And, and you know, sometimes it's going to set a screen, sometimes it's cutting. And when he does that, the their offense looks so much better. But it's the moments where he gives the ball to Russ, and, and we've all seen Russ stand out at you know at the little hash mark, uninvolved in the offense. They can do that. Russ can do that. I mean, he's already not being guarded out there anyway. Harden absolutely can't do that. Because he is way too important pulling the attention of the defense. And you see that when he gives up the ball and moves, they generate open corner threes nearly every single time. Now, they don't make them, but they they generate them. Yeah, no, I, you're right. And the, when they have him involved in the off, I've been screaming it for a year now on, on Brody and the beard. You know, when you have him involved in off ball actions, like it takes the team to the other another level. I would say, though, they, they don't mind him standing damn near half court because he is a guy unlike Jokic you got to account for because then it just turns into four on four versus you know because the defender is going out there and denying him and making sure he doesn't get the ball back optically it's a terrible freaking look um you know with him just standing at half court but most of the time a defender's with him and now it's four on four and the hope is okay Russ can break down somebody and you know won't settle for a terrible mid-range jumper or turn the ball over I think is is kind of the thinking and that's where that works but you know they are at another level when they start involving hard and when he moves sets an off ball screen and cuts or whatever, like they go to another level. They just don't do that enough. 
Uh, Seth, what, what are you going to be looking out for as we approach the conference finals? Um, in the East, I, I, I'm willing to be talked out of this, but I feel like the winner of Game Seven uh, between Toronto and Boston is a sizable favorite to advance over the Heat. Um, I think for everything that Miami had in their favor matchup wise against Milwaukee. I think the reverse is going to be true against either of those opponents. And, um, you know, the, they made up the, the kind of the talent difference in, in Milwaukee with those matchup advantages. They're at both a overall talent disadvantage and a matchup disadvantage against either uh, Toronto or Miami. That's what I'm looking for. Mo, uh, we're about to get the LA conference finals, I think. Um, this, this one could be really, really great. Or it could just be, you know, that the Lakers dog walk the Clippers. I don't think the Clippers have it in them to necessarily dog walk the Lakers because I just think LeBron and Anthony Davis are too good. Uh, I do think the Clippers can win, but I think if the Clippers win, it's going to be six or seven games. I think no, but nobody's dog walking Kawhi. Come on. <laughs> that's a good point. I also never really heard the phrase dog walk, but that's a whole different story. Uh, <laughs> but the, uh, I think what you're windshielded windshield. Yeah. That's what we need. <laughs> the, uh, I think the issue with my, my thing with the Clippers, is just a matter of like continuity and no team has really been able to stress them. You still see, blown coverages and stuff like you can see it every now and then where you know Kawhi will be in one coverage and Zubach will be in the wrong one and Kawhi will look at him all crazy which automatically even though they're both probably wrong it automatically means Zubach is wrong because Kawhi is not wrong the in the Clipper organization Kawhi is right 100% of the time the what I will find interesting overall if we get to that series is you know I don't think the Clippers are going to take a game off or a possession off in that series that we've seen them kind of do in games against Dallas and Denver, where they've just looked uninterested, like they're going to be locked in. And I think it's just going to be a hell of a battle. Yeah. I think these conference finals are really setting up to be a lot of fun. Um, I'll give Miami a a puncher's chance in, in in their series, whoever they play just on the back of Jimmy Butler. Um, But I I think I'm with you, Seth, that I I expect Boston or Toronto, whoever wins that series, to wind up in the finals. Uh, Inside preparing myself for a Celtics-Lakers finals to a certain degree. That's going to do it for this week, folks. Don't forget, we're running a special at The Athletic right now to celebrate reaching a milestone of 1 million subscribers. You can sign up for just $1 a month. That's crazy. Go to theathletic.com slash subscribe and sign up. That's theathletic.com slash subscribe. Uh, For Mo, for Seth, I'm Dave DeFore. This was Nerdish She Wrote. We'll be back next week on The Athletic NBA Show.